Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people. Learn more about our live stream church services and the podcast when you visit walkintruth.com. Now, here's Pastor Michael and his message in Job 42 called Restoration and Blessing. Now, we've been on a uh, great long journey. It's lasted about a year now in the book of Job, and we've come to the concluding section of the book of Job. And for those of you who've been with us the whole time, and I know there's been some faithful Wednesday nighters and others of you who have watched the whole series, God bless you for your uh, perseverance for hanging in there through a challenging book, especially a, a challenging book to go verse by verse. But we've done it. We've done it by God's grace. We've done it together. And I'm so glad that we've had this journey together and glad that we can come to the end of a, a message tonight called Restoration and Blessing. I'm going to pray one more time, and I think I need to move my pulpit a little bit over. How's that? All right. Would you pray with me? And I hope you got your Bible. Father, thank you so much for Job 42, the whole book of Job. Thank you for Job's endurance. Thank you that the book of James tells us that we can learn that Job endured because of God's grace and the Lord is full of compassion and merciful. You have been so merciful to us, O Lord. If you kept a record of our sins, O Lord, who could stand? And as we take one final look at this most innocent sufferer, Job, who pictures or foreshadows the ultimate innocent sufferer, Jesus. May you show us marvelous things from your word. May you give us hope, and may that hope be the anchor of our souls. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Hey, I've been also uh, catching up on your comments, and it's, it's really cool to see how you guys are worshiping at home, encouraging one another on the chat, and I'm encouraged by your comments, so keep those positive comments coming, those encouraging, encouraging comments coming, because I know they bless uh, not only those who are on, but they bless us as well. Job 42. Now, just to recap, Job answered the Lord after the Lord showed him behemoth and Leviathan, these incredibly powerful, untamed creatures that some of us believe were water dinosaurs or uh, uh, dinosaurs may, that may be now extinct. And if you want to catch up on those, you can catch up on those. But after seeing those, uh, Job answered the Lord and said, Job 42, 2, I know that thou canst do all things and that no purpose of thine can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have declared that which I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Verse 4. Hear now, and I will speak. I will ask thee, and do thou instruct me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees thee. Therefore, says Job, I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. Now, the crescendo of the book, if you will, Job has been asking his questions and he's been asking them as an innocent sufferer who doesn't know that both barrels of the devil who is pictured in Leviathan have been aimed at Job and his fortune and his family. And he has been decimated. And he sat in a pile of ashes in the middle of town, if you will, 
to picture his grief and sorrow. And if you're just catching up with the book of Job, three of his friends came with a goal, Job 2.11, to comfort and console him. They did a very poor job. And as the book unfolds, they get more and more frustrated with him because they believe that Job has some secret sin in his life that has brought this terrible calamity onto his life. And Job doesn't have any secret sin. In fact, he is a godly man of whom God brags about his godliness, and he calls him my servant Job very early in the book. And it is the enemy, the Satan, if you will, that begins to question why Job shows allegiance to the Lord. Why does he follow you? Because you've hedged him in, because you've blessed him on every side. Let me at him, says Satan. And God allows this for his divine reasons under his sovereignty, which we'll touch on this coming Sunday night. And all hell literally breaks loose in Job's life. And he is decimated. He loses his children. Ten children perish. His wife curses him. And uh, his friends are really of no comfort. We begin to get a little light at the end of the tunnel as uh, Elihu, the youngest of the four, comes at the end of the book and begins to set the table. He's kind of a John the Baptist, a forerunner to God's speeches that begin in chapter 38. In uh, chapter 32, Elihu begins to speak, and then God begins to speak to Job in chapters 38 through 42, concluding in chapter 42. So that's a quick synopsis of where we've been. Job, we could say, literally has walked through the valley of the shadow of death. We've encouraged one another when we've studied Psalm 23 that we walk through the valley of the shadow of death because of our good shepherd who laid down his life for us, who tasted death for each one of us and now has been crowned with glory and honor. And now Job has walked through that valley and he's come to the end where he will be restored. I want you to notice in verse 6 that he retracts the wrong conclusions he had come to in regard to God. Now Job had, didn't have secret sin that brought the calamity on his life, but he had made some mistakes with his mouth in the midst of the calamity. And that's where God challenged him. He, he challenged him about his conclusions and, and so forth about running the universe. And now Job Having been taken through this, one writer says uh, this restoration is beautifully captured in this final section of the book as his family, uh, Job generally, and his family rides off into the sunset. I believe this is a beautiful ending to a powerful book that should be studied on multiple occasions, but has been very timely for the time in which we live. In the prayer, I mentioned James 5.11. I won't take you there, but uh, write it down. And this is something we looked at at the beginning of the book of Job. James quotes a Job or refers to Job when he says, Behold, we count those blessed who endured, James 5.11. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome. Here's what we're studying now. The outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. Job endured, God gave him grace. And one writer says, endurance is an active quality of a believer. And from the book of Romans, we see that endurance is, or perseverance is a gift of grace from God. 
God is the God who gives perseverance. We lean into him. We lean into the word of God. And the result is we get God-given perseverance. And that's what we need. And it's an active quality throughout this marathon of life. We've all noticed that the Christian life is not a sprint. It's going to be a marathon for most. And so we have to find that good pace and that perseverance when we want to give up. I was reading an article uh, written by Dale Partridge, how the coronavirus might change the local church forever. And here's some comments he makes in this, le- in this uh, article. He says, most of all, I believe God will be glorified through the coronavirus. I believe as J.C. Ryle so beautifully stated, quote, health is a good thing, but sickness is far better if it leads us to God, close quote. This season may not look like the most effective path toward a Christian awakening in our world, but history confirms that the most fertile soil for church revival is found in the beds of suffering and uncertainty. Though it may seem bleak, many are coming back to the Bible. Though it may seem confusing, many are on their knees in prayer. Though it may feel broken, many are seeing their need for the gospel. I think of C.S. Lewis's grand thought on the matter. He says, quote, We can even ignore pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world, close quote. The Lord knows what he's doing, and we can have joy in the midst of this pandemic. For he is with us until the very end, close quote. And so, that we, so even though we don't understand everything that God is doing, we know that God is sovereign. We know God is on his throne. We know God is working in the midst of this pandemic. And we know he's been shouting to the world. Maybe he's been shouting to you. Maybe your ears have opened uh, more than they ever have before. Maybe you've been praying more than you ever have before. Maybe you've gotten back to your Bible. These are all positive things because here's what happens to us as humans. And I think we all understand this. When things are going really, really well in life, we can feel overconfident and even prideful and feel like we don't need God. When times are uncertain and we don't have it all together and we don't have the answers, and it's sad that this is the way it has to be, that's when we learn to rely upon God. Faith is often born in the cauldron of adversity, but it's also strengthened in the cauldron of adversity. And if you've been a Christian for a long time, maybe, you know, you, maybe you were in a bit of doldrums in the last uh, months leading up to the pandemic. I don't know. I've had people tell me that they felt like their spiritual life was a little out of whack. They were in a bit of a routine. They were kind of, you know, not going through the motions, but they were doing what they were supposed to do, but maybe the passion wasn't there. And I've been asking the Lord for a fresh baptism of boldness in these days. I've been asking the Lord to clothe me with his armor and use me for the extension of his kingdom, not wanting to take a day for granted. And I know how easy it is for all of us to take things for granted, for us to forget. Uh, Job is going to be restored and he's going to be blessed, but I won't take you there. But write down verses 1 through 14. And after the writer tells us to keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, he then goes on to talk about discipline. 
And let me just kind of paraphrase the idea. He says, no discipline for the moment seems fun to paraphrase. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. As you know, the coronavirus pandemic has forced local and state governments to make some regulations to keep people safe. That means Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona, California, the church behind Walk in Truth, where Michael Lance serves as senior pastor, must resort to live streaming their Wednesday night and Sunday morning services. Many churches are having to face the same shutdown to abide by social distancing regulations. If your church isn't able to live stream their service, we invite you to fellowship with us from the comfort of your home during this unfortunate time. Visit walkintruth.com and click on church. That's walkintruth.com. Click on church. Hey, Shane Lance here, and I wanted to take a quick moment and encourage you to subscribe to our devotional called A Step Closer. This is a quick read from scripture with a little bit of commentary, and it's a great way to keep you growing in your walk with the Lord. In our crazy society right now, with all the things we jam-pack into our schedule, I'll be the first to admit that sometimes it's hard to find time to study God's Word. But it is so important as we grow in our relationship with the Lord to study His Word. It's such a vital aspect to our walk. You can text "step closer" as one word to 33222. Again, that's "step closer" as one word to 33222. We really believe here at Walk in Truth that this can be a great instrument in helping you grow in your relationship with the Lord. So once again, we'd encourage you to subscribe to our devotional called "A Step Closer," and you can text "step closer" as one word to 33222. Make sure you subscribe to the Walk in Truth podcast, available on your favorite podcast app. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. For church revival is found in the beds of suffering and uncertainty. Though it may seem bleak, many are coming back to the Bible. Though it may seem confusing, many are on their knees in prayer. Though it may feel broken, Many are seeing their need for the gospel. I think of C.S. Lewis's grand thought on the matter. He says, quote, We can even ignore pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world, close quote. The Lord knows what he's doing, And we can have joy in the midst of this pandemic, for he is with us until the very end, close quote. And so so even though we don't understand everything that God is doing, we know that God is sovereign. We know God is on his throne. We know God is working in the midst of this pandemic. And we know he's been shouting to the world. Maybe he's been shouting to you. Maybe your ears have opened uh, more than they ever have before. Maybe you've been praying more than you ever have before. Maybe you've gotten back to your Bible. These are all positive things because here's what happens to us as humans. And I think we all understand this. When things are going really, really well in life, we can feel overconfident and even prideful and feel like we don't need God. When times are uncertain and we don't have it all together and we don't have the answers, and it's sad that this is the way it has to be, that's when we learn to rely upon God. Faith is often born in the cauldron of adversity, but it's also strengthened in the cauldron of adversity. And if you've been a Christian for a long time, maybe, you know, you've 
Maybe you were in a bit of doldrums in the last uh, months leading up to the pandemic. I don't know. I've had people tell me that they felt like their spiritual life was a little out of whack. They were in a bit of a routine. They were kind of, you know, not going through the motions, but they were doing what they were supposed to do. But maybe the passion wasn't there. And I've been asking the Lord for a fresh baptism of boldness in these days. I've been asking the Lord to clothe me with his armor and use me for the extension of his kingdom, not wanting to take a day for granted. And I know how easy it is for all of us to take things for granted, for us to forget. Uh, Job is going to be restored and he's going to be blessed, but I won't take you there. But write down verses 1 through 14. And after the writer tells us to keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, he then goes on to talk about discipline. And let me just kind of paraphrase the idea. He says, no discipline for the moment seems fun to paraphrase. We, you know, fathers, our fathers disciplined us as best they could. Uh, You know, they were human. They lacked all the insight they needed and the way of doing it, but they did it for our good. In the same way, our heavenly father disciplines us for our good. Please hear this that we may share in his holiness. So discipline is for restoration purposes to restore us back to what we were intended to be, to be right with God and right with others. And it's also for sanctification purposes, simply put, that we might share in God's holiness. That's Hebrews 12, 1 through 14. In other words, that we might be refined and become more like our Father. So, The book of Job has lessons like that here. And remember in verse 6, as he retracts and repents, we're embarking now on his restoration. It came about, Job 42, 7, after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, and his speeches are recorded starting in chapter 38, that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, now here's the first man mentioned of one of the friends of Job, who came to comfort him in Job 2.11. And God says to him, my wrath is kindled against you and against your two friends because you have not spoken of me what is right, please notice, as my servant Job has, Job 42.7. The address from the Lord after Job repents, retracts and repents, is to address one of the poor comforters of Job, and to rebuke him, and in fact, to threaten him that my wrath, my judgment, if you will, has been kindled against you. Now, some of us might be surprised at this point to hear this, because we might have been thinking, well, wait a minute, how how is it that God says Job has spoken rightly, but Eliphaz has spoken wrongly? A couple of thoughts. Now, Job had been an innocent sufferer. He was still an imperfect person. But Job's main wrestling through the book is to try to understand God. And remember, over and over again, Job Job desires an audience with God. He wants to know God. He desires a mediator. I know that my Redeemer lives. If I only had a mediator to listen to me, if I only had someone who could go between me and God, he's confused, he's asking his questions, he's lamenting, but he loves God. The three friends seem to be more about a systematized philosophy or religious approach to life that seems to be pretty void 
of a relationship with God. Now, this is my own conjecture, and you can think about this, but there are people who have a philosophy, they have a theology, it's in a nice little package, but it may not be full of much compassion, and it may not be flowing from the spirit of the living God. See, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And what these men were truly missing was love. And love, brethren, is the evidence that we've passed out of death into life. If you are void of love, First John says, you better question your salvation. Because I can speak with the tongues of men and of angels. I can have all wisdom and all knowledge. But if I do not have love, I am nothing. A whole lot of theological noise can be made that's void of the heart of God. Now, the heart of God is to love God, to keep his commandments, is to love him and to love your neighbor as yourself. And so what I see in these three friends is they wanted their neat little philosophical religious answers systematized, maybe from the traditions of their fathers, And I'm not saying that these guys didn't have a fear of God or didn't have some good things to say. They did, but they got a lot of it wrong. And what they especially got wrong was a judgment on Job's heart. They kept, um, you know, they get more and more frustrated with him. They, They want him to come clean, but they're wrong. They were wrong about him. And they were also wrong about God. I want you to notice that God makes it about him because he says, You have not spoken, end of seven, uh, of me what is right, as Job has. I was reading a commentator this week who says, it's not surprising to us that God says the friends were wrong, but it ought to surprise us that the Lord says that, uh, that Job was right. How is this? Is it possible that God's affirmation refers only to Job's humble response to God's speeches. He goes on, yet I think there's a deeper truth here. It seems to me that God's affirmation of Job applies somehow not only to what Job has said, but to who Job is. The essence of the thought is this. The friends were content with the system of rules they had invented. Job cannot be satisfied with any system. He must know God. This is what Christianity is all about. It's not about a system. It's not about a building. It's not about a set of rules. It's about knowing God. And when you know God, everything else flows from that. Even your times of confusion, even your questions. Please notice also that Job is called my servant, Job. This is a pretty high title. In fact, you do a quick concordance search on my servant and you can, you can see that in Numbers 12, 7, God says, my servant Moses. Numbers 14, 24, my servant Caleb. In 2 Samuel 7, 5, my servant David. This is some pretty high company. Uh, in Isaiah 20, verse 3, my servant Isaiah. In 22, 20 of Isaiah, my servant Eliakim. And then in Isaiah 41.8, God calls Israel my servant. And get this, from Isaiah 42 forward, including 49 and chapter, uh, I think it's 50 and 52, 
There's four servant songs in Isaiah, starting in chapter 42, 49, 50, and then 52 and 53. And this servant is called my servant. And these servant songs are messianic prophecies. See, Job was the servant of Yahweh, my servant. But the ultimate servant that Job pictures is another suffering servant. You've been listening to Restoration and Blessing Part 1 on Walk in Truth, Pastor Michael's message in Job chapter 42. If you'd like to watch a video of this message, which includes a time of worship, subscribe to our Living Truth Christian Fellowship YouTube channel. Visit walkintruth.com and click on church. That's walkintruth.com and click on church. And while you're on the website, would you please consider giving a small donation? Walk in Truth is a listener-supported ministry, and we're able to broadcast on this station and do the podcast because of that support. That's also how we're able to do our 633 apologetic events for free. Look, we know times are uncertain right now, and, and maybe you're even out of work. So if that's the case, or if you're a new listener to this program, we're asking you not to give. But if you've been listening to this program for a while and you're able to do it, would you please be willing to give just $5? We believe that the Lord is faithful and your $5 donation will go a long way to help us keep this ministry going. So if you can give $5, please visit walkintruth.com and click on donate. And thank you so much for believing in our mission to equip the body of Christ. Now, make sure you come back tomorrow for part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in Job 42 called Restoration and Blessing. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to reach out with God's truth to encourage, teach, and bless you during a time of hardship.